1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, we'll be talking to Professor Clara Han about her new book, Seeing Like a Child, Inheriting the Korean War. Clara, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me oh yeah no thank you so much for being here i'm really excited to talk about your wonderful book that is so different from any other scholarship that i have seen um and i'm sure the uh listeners are really excited as well um clara i wonder if we can begin the interview with you telling us a little bit about yourself
0: ah uh, sure Um, So I am Clara Hahn. I'm an anthropologist. um, I'm an associate professor at in the Department of Anthropology at Johns Hopkins University. Um, I've worked for a long time on issues of uh, poverty and health um, and uh, state violence, um, mainly in um, actually for a long time in uh, Chile, in Santiago, Chile, in low-income neighborhoods, Um, and more recently, as you see with the with this publication. uh, Seeing Like a Child, I've, I've started to kind of think through questions of uh, violence and subjectivity, um, and starting with my own family uh, in the context of Korea. Mm,
1: yeah, and you talk about this uh, in the introduction of your book, how you came to like, uh, write Seeing Like a Child, but I wonder whether you could also tell the listeners about how you came uh, to write Seeing Like a Child, which is so different from uh, your previous work.
0: Um, so actually, uh, this book project really, um, it didn't really start out as a book project per se. It wasn't, hadn't been conceived of as a book project. It really started out as a conversation, um, with my friend who at the time was a graduate student, actually, uh, and he's now a colleague, um, uh, on, uh, really thinking through the memories, uh, the inheritance of, um, their inheritance of familial memories of catastrophe, uh, from his perspective of uh, his grandparents who had been um, survivors of the Holocaust, uh, and from my perspective in terms of how it is that I, you know, uh, that our family has, has inherited uh, the catastrophe of the Korean War, um, and so it became it was a kind of ongoing conversation that we would have, like chats said, having coffee with each other and so forth. And we were invited to uh, give a paper, um, like to um, at a conference about this. We had been talking to other people about this, and so this was our first attempt. Uh, we essentially um, started by writing, and uh, just kind of like allowing memories to kind of come to us like a rush uh, on the page, um, and then we would uh, trade these trade our writings with each other and read them. And then have a conversation, and it became this process of writing, um, you know, allowing um, these memories to rush to the page, and then uh, discuss them. That became the the basis of of the book. Um, so eventually, I kind of took this forward, this experiment forward, um, more fully with um, um, by writing by essentially then writing this book, um, and that's and that's how it kind of started to take shape. So this wasn't something that I thought about. Um, by myself or, um, you know, sitting in front of a desk by myself, but, but actually was very much an expression of uh, both my family and also the intellectual community uh, that I'm embedded in.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember, yeah, you did write about that in the introduction. And I also thought it was interesting how uh, the foreword is provided by a a fellow scholar and that... Uh, I wonder whether you can comment on the uh, importance of these like intellectual communities uh, that you had uh in graduate school, and then uh I guess uh now you're teaching at Johns Hopkins, so uh within the academic spaces that you have uh migrated across. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I think that what was in some ways what was really interesting um about this writing this um this work, this, is, is, is this, um, the fact that this intellectual community that I am in and try to sustain is very much, um, interested in and committed to thinking through or thinking at the, if we, if you will, the margins of the discipline. Right. Um, and, and it's not just, I mean, and it's really, you know, so, 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 in, in a sense, it actually brings out, you know, some of the questions around how we think of self-knowledge and anthropological knowledge, right? Like this is anthropological knowledge, simply professionalized knowledge, or how do we think about the ways in which um, self-knowledge and anthropological knowledge actually are imprinted on each other? Um, and so, uh, you know, Richard Reckman, for example, who wrote the foreword of the book, um, is a psychiatrist and anthropologist, Um who's um, worked with uh, Cambodian refugees in France uh, for a very long time. And and he wrote, uh, he has done a lot of work, uh, not simply on a critique of uh, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, PTSD, or a critique of the discourse of trauma, but rather he tries to get inside what it is um, to inhabit an everyday life that's within... Um, within death, if you will, like in the, in the context of genocide. Um, and so he, he, he tries to kind of make available that subjective experience that is in excess of, um, the categories that, uh, disciplinary knowledge makes available that is either within anthropology or within, um, um, psychiatry. Um, and, and likewise, you know, um, Vina Das, who, um, many of us know, uh, in the humanities and social sciences has been really important in, you know, just working with her has been extremely important for my own growth as a scholar and a person in the sense that she does, has presented most powerfully to me and to many others, but for myself, um, how to kind of uh, a a way in which we might think of thought as a movement of dissent and rather than actually um, try to grasp for a super concept in order to kind of, put it put experience onto a grid um it rather is the movement would really be to have that open curiosity to to actually gain an attentiveness to um to words right to the life and death of words among us and, and that i think um you know comes with a lot of methodological challenges and um and that it's that's those sets of conversations that in a sense i think um you know in a way uh allowed me to receive the experiences in my family um, in ways that I hadn't been able to uh, before. So that's why I don't think that there is a very neat, you know, cut or secure boundary between self-knowledge and anthropological knowledge. Um, I couldn't have written this book without the life that I've had. Right. But I wouldn't have been able to have the experience available had I not actually been open to this kind of anthropological knowledge or exposed to it. So, so, and, and because I have the, had the life that I've had, that knowledge also resonates with me. Right. So, so it's, it's not quite clear to me what the, you know, you know, it, it, I, actually, I think that there's these ways in which self-knowledge and anthropological knowledge are imprinted on each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you
1: talk about that with, uh, you know, perspective of a child as well, when you criticize how I is often seen as a fully formed, like person with, you know, the categories of the war and history that is just really defined, that informs anthropological practices. Um. So you criticize that in your book, which I thought was just very uh, beautifully put. Um. But I wondered, um because yeah, I was thinking about that uh, with you know my work as well, and uh, I found it very inspiring, like uh, what was the process like for you to you know try to like recover this voice of the child without um you know recoursing to the neat narratives of like adulthood and you know like the preset categories that the scholarship really relies on
0: hmm Um, yeah, I, I think that it was, it's really a question of, you know, for myself, it was really a question of having a fidelity to the memory. Um, and so, you know, it's, so for example, I mean, I would give like, there's like examples like, right. For example, I could tell you like, you know, I remember when I was being tested for, um, for, for the, they, they would give these IQ tests to children at that time. And so I was being tested in order to figure out what grade I would be placed in. Um, and, you know, an adult might relate it in terms of like for an adult memory of that child, you know, it's like, Oh, well and then, you know, I was tested and I was put into this room and they were giving me these standardized tests. But, you know, as a child, I didn't know what a standardized test was right? Like that category standardized test did not even exist to me yet. Like Standardization did not exist to me yet. So it, you know, it, you know, so if I were to actually stay true to that particular memory, it would be, you know, describing the, I mean, what I see in my mind, for example, is that the boots of the, of the test of the woman who was testing me, like these, she had these brown boots, big, big brown, brown, brown boots, and then she kept staring out the window and saying, and she would say, "Tell me the difference between a brick house and a wood house." And I said, "I don't," uh, and I was, I think, just waffling. She's like, and then she would just repeat, and she just stares out the window, and says, "A brick house or a wood house?" You know, and so you just, <laughs> it's like, uh, um so it's, it's that kind of description, right? Of uh, These impressions, you know, that is not necessarily one that you're going to, and, and what does that tell you? That kind of that detail, right? The, what the child kind of remembers, you know, I can actually, for example, even what, uh, what my daughter would describe. It's very interesting to see how, like, only in the last, maybe I would say month or two, uh, she's four now. Has she really, mastered, in some ways, clearly absorbed narrative form? Like this happened, and this, then this happened, then this. Like in re- relating a story, right? Um, and 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 before that, actually, it, you know, if she went to, for example, like I, we went, we were in Seoul. This was when she was two, and it we she was so amazed by these being on buses, like so many buses, very long bus rides. <laughs> <laughs> people sleeping on the buses right <laughs> and so like you know a couple months later after we had come back mm-hmm. all of a sudden she's like looks at me and she says the woman's head on the, the woman's heads um, um, on the bus seat just bobbing up and down and I'm like she's like the dark tunnel and, and I said, what? Like, and it was just kind of like, whoa. But the reason I could understand what she was saying was because I actually had a much larger world with her. I share I share the world with her, right? And so then I thought, black, you know, dark, long tunnels, a woman's head bobbing on the bus. When has that happened? That has happened in Seoul. She's talking about, you know, this, and, and this. And it's like these kind of impressions that are these almost like, non-linearly strung together almost like this kind of weave of impressions um which actually is somewhat reminds me of hanggang's um you know uh, uh, memoir you know these this weave of impressions is actually um you know how the child relates this memory the very small child relates these memories right um yeah. before simply locking these into narrative and even now like you know even as ella has, you know, absorbed narrative form. It's not that she's simply relating her experience in narrative form because we even it's not like a developmental question where all, you reach a stage and then everything else falls away. It's that that form now resides next to these other ways of relating your, your world. Right. Mm, yeah. and, and, for, and so it's instead of actually kind of emphasizing that impulse in us to have that, Um, you know, linear narrative form or these uh, particular adult categories that show a kind of false mastery. uh, I, I really, really try to um, just go into how I I don't know how to explain, uh, describe it better than right from the inside um, of memory. um, And, and see, actually, what does that What difference does that make? You know, like, what does that make available to us uh, and to myself um, uh, in in understanding um, how uh, catastrophe um, is dispersed in everyday life?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and that relates to the part one of your book, Lost and Awakenings. Also, uh, what is interesting about you know what you're telling um uh, us about with Ella and how uh, she suddenly you know randomly says oh you know the third tunnel um and then you can reference it back to Seoul. So uh there there's also an yeah, interesting overlap uh between like uh spaces and temporality. So they're not necessarily linear or uh, logical quote unquote. Um, but then uh, they're kind of like interspersed and like intersecting one another, and that's also what you talk about uh, in the part one uh, when you uh, talk about how the catastrophe of war is seeped into everyday domestic realms in terms of uh, um you know your mother's uh, stroke and uh you know the traumatic experiences that uh, you had in Los Alamos um and even though you weren't directly experiencing the Korean War itself um the fantasy world that you had about oh you know your mom being a princess and then um you know your dad um also like his trauma with having been dispersed at isangajok displaced families that also all interlocking together to inform your own childhood and your understanding of yourself um so i found that to be like hugely interesting as well so i wonder if you can tell us uh tell us a little bit more about how this, um, you know, how the trauma of the Korean war and displacement that um, your parents experienced informed your own childhood and uh, your self um, identity. Mm.
0: So, yeah, actually I just wanted to kind of that. that, Yeah. I I wanted to actually back up a little bit in terms of the questions of, um, of trauma. And I think that that's actually, I mean, one of the, uh, you know, one of the, the, um, issues has been really to try to kind of work around the discourse of trauma rather than be within the model of trauma, because one of the, the, you know, because the, because the model of trauma does, um, uh, is based on a notion of the event that actually is something that you can point to such to the extent that, um, you know, the event, uh, you know, it's like, to the extent that, you know, it's not the individual per se that or the collective like the family that matters but rather the wound that actually stands in for uh for singularity and so that um and we've seen that with um you know the way in which the institutional apparatus of trauma works um you know in, in legal regimes in relation to um cases of uh, you know for example mass rape Um, We've seen that, um, you know, um, so, 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 you know, so I think that this, there, there are some issues with, with thinking through the, the model of trauma um, and, and, and even to the extent of actually saying that this is, uh, this is a a question of a transmission of trauma. I, um, the, the, what I'm trying to show in the, in the, in the book and what I've really, Um, you know, is is really that it's not so much a question of a transmission of an event of like those who directly experience then pass it on through these various symptoms to the children, which is, there is a theory of this, you know, we've, you know, this kind of transgenerational haunting and so forth, Uh, but rather is to really see how a child actually comes to um, inherit, that is to say, inherit as in, uh, you know, claim as one's own, in building a world the the child world right uh, making intelligible eligible a world for oneself uh, how does those do how does um, catastrophe come to be marked within the child world right and and and, and so it's actually a, a different um, it, it model as it were framework for 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 engaging um, the problem of catastrophe uh, and uh, and violence and so and and to actually also, you know, say, well, what is a, you know, when we say this is world annihilating violence versus, um, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of routinized forms of violence, you know, poverty, like how do we actually, you know, or like there's these small violences and big violences, you know, I, I it's, it's also trying to kind of destabilize that. I mean, in a sense, the, it, it's, it, you know, the, the war, uh, is, is it's not simply just that my father and my mother actually were displaced by war and then had a you know and then this happened in terms of illness but rather it, it is in fact actually that you know the illness the affliction in the household is actually was and has been um catastrophic right um and that that um and so how you know and, and that, that catastrophe of, of a loss of home um, is actually what, it, in some ways, makes available the catastrophe of displacement and war in our lives. And so, um, you know, it. I, I think that that is, in, in some ways, what I was trying – What I mean, in some ways, I was surprised to discover for myself. I didn't know this, really quite know it in the sense of being – aware and awake to this myself, but when I came to actually write from within the memories of my childhood, um, what came, what emerges is, what first emerges is, is the affliction, right. Um, um, with my mother, but affliction is never simply just one individual. It's actually these relationships, right. Um, and so, uh, and so it's there that I actually kind of started to think through how this, uh, how we might think of war as embedded within um, within affliction, right? Mm-hmm hmm yeah
1: yeah thank thank you so much for clarifying that as well I wasn't familiar with the uh, trauma scholarship but then I mean you uh, do talk about it in your work but I think talking to you about it is like also like helping me to like really clarify my understanding of it as well and I guess it also relates to um the foreword that's written by Reckman, and then you do write about how um in a way like yeah there is, uh, is a break in scholarship between yeah the big traumatic events versus you know the small domestics but then um your purpose is to um show that uh, to deconstruct and like destabilize that boundary so uh, yeah thank you so much for clarifying that and That actually leads me to uh, the next question, um, which is I think it's like very related because you criticize uh, the theory on racial melancholia as an insufficient concept uh, because um, in a way it does it doesn't reject the dominant narrative of you know the racialized like you know wanting to assimilate and. provides like a presents like a very singular like one-sided portrayal of um the racialized like uh you know always wanting to be uh like within uh, this dominant and uh you show with your example of your dad and how he rejects Korea as a country and uh, in a way like how for him um he wanted to be like uh, like assimilated and uh, it wasn't it didn't fit into this like concept of racial melancholia and um, he also says that uh, you know uh, you can see it rather as a labor of stealing rather than transmission um, uh, and then um, how you can recreate uh, your voice through I guess like this like, Uh, creative like processes of uh, like appropriation and also reception and uh, recreation through like diverse languages that have that you have at your disposal so uh, I I feel like I didn't explain it uh, as clearly as you have done in your book but can you actually tell us more about uh, you know how you came to like uh, understand um uh, this in terms of like language, um, and how you are kind of criticize. You're criticizing this notion of like, I guess, like nostalgia, like uh, home, root, country, and yeah, racial melancholia. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the I, I mean, I guess my issue, uh, my my concerns with around racial melancholia, um, I mean, it's not is it, is for example when you look at the the actual case studies, right, um, and you know. One of the issues that I think I tried to point out in the book is that um, there is a, a certain violence when that happens when uh, you know the the when the U.S. racial when U.S. racial politics becomes the dominant politics uh, by which to understand um, you know the the familial memories or uh, you know um, you know. The, the madness that comes with migration, uh, that, um, and I, I, I think that what that can do. I mean, I understand the critique here. I understand the, um, the, 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 the critique of the, uh, of the, of this coercion of whiteness, which I, 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 in some sense also do agree with. that there is a coercion of whiteness, right? We cannot deny that, and we've seen that. Um, even more um, kind of in, in mo- the most vitriolic form in the past year with uh, the xenophobic, uh, uh, you know, discourse that has um, you know, been so intensified in the United States um, with COVID. Uh, but, um, but I think that, you know, when it, when we're, if I were to have a fidelity to the Korean War, right, um, and to my parents, right, um, I couldn't simply just say that the issue here uh, is one in which they're being uh, forced to assimilate and they're attempting to secure whiteness and thus I'm trying to secure whiteness and thus failing at securing whiteness. It's not that, right? I mean, clearly there are racial politics involved, In the United States, and it's not that I'm immune to them, and my family hasn't been either. Um, But um, that framework uh, really does tend to suppress the politics within uh, within Korea, right? Um, And you know, kind of reduce the question of Korea to simply like a site of war, like a chaos of destruction rather than a really deep set of political, intellectual commitments, right? That have a history, right? Uh, And so I, this is why I do also resist that. And you know, my father, you know, I would say that um, it's not only just that, as I said, it wasn't, (laughs) it made me realize that he's not, he's not simply just rejecting Korea in general, right? He is—he actually hates Korea, right? But he hates it because they we because there's no way to be Korean today without being a North Korean or a South Korean, and that is what he doesn't want to have to acknowledge, you know. Um, and that I think um, the sense of. Betrayal that the that Korea in some ways had betrayed him, right, um, is is what he actually kind of lived with. So he didn't want us learning Korean because it wasn't just about excelling as minority children. It was about the fact that he wanted to obliterate Korean from us, right? That is to say, obliterate it before it was born, right? Um, and that is so to under it's it's really understanding that political affective impulse that would be different than my mother who was, you know, really, th- there was such a different relationship to Korean. I mean, that, that is to say the identification of herself as South Korean. Mm-hmm. She co- comes to Clark university, in uh, 1953. Um, and she has hung the teguki up, uh, above her desk. Right. You know, I mean, it, it, it the the, the the way in which we were brought in as diaspora, you know, as the children of who would be part of this, you know, diaspora that would rebuild South Korea actually, is a completely different politics than, and you know, kind of than the kind of politics my dad espoused, which is not about valorizing North Korea, but rather saying neither of these places should exist at all, a complete rejection of. Um, Contemporary political coordinates, right? <laughs> and, so, <Yeah. laughs> and, and so, which I think is really interesting, um, you know, uh, you know, which also tells us, you know, this is this is also how war is embedded in us. You know, the fact of that we inherit uh, Korean um, in this way, which is through this kind of obliteration and this other impulse, right? But that that impulse of my mother. In some ways, kind of gets cut short when she uh, becomes sick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we simply this is this is you know this is this is how we might we might say that I inherited Korean, um, and so the picture of language here, and also this is one way in which I might say I learned English, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this was in fact um, what um, this. Uh, the fact that we might, you know, we weren't allowed to, I mean, my parents didn't speak um, Korean to us in the household, even though my mother would have found it so much more comfortable to speak Korean uh, to us. Um, like, this is a way in which we learn English, right? And um, and so in a way it's to say that this, you know, the picture of language here is not one in which um, it's this this kind of simple um, accruing of linguistic abilities, right? Like, or thinking of language as simply linguistic, Right. It's rather one, you know, language in terms of how we understand how like words and how words and things come to meet each other. It's coming to learn what it is to be in a world. Right. Um, and so and so that's actually um, um, what I was trying to kind of uh, get at in terms of, of, of or kind of discover in terms of of, of language. Um and 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 that would actually um, and then it's it's there that you know this question of finding one's voice, which I mean in the sense of uh, this is where I think you know Stanley Cavell's work is really helpful. Um, that is actually you know you might be born with uh, you know what he calls your mother tongue, right? Uh, but that you actually have to commit treason. <laughs> Mm. on your parents right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like you're like stealing your voice right stealing yeah. uh, uh, in order to actually kind of project your own voice right and it's that actually that i kind of found that in, in a way it's also the fact of my my having my l- labor of learning uh, in some ways also the linguistic capacity of korean right which is also the fact that I even do labor in that, <laughs> where, which was a, which, you know, initially my dad had, you know, my father had completely just thought was bizarre. Right. But now was, you know, um, it, ha- it, it in a way it actually has allowed him to have a, a home when actually uh, like word retrieval for him is very difficult now. So, oh, if he can speak it in he speak, if the word comes in Korean, I still know what he's saying, you know, and it would just be one word, right? But at least that I'm able. There is an ability to to be understood, right? So, it's it. it I think that you know, um, yeah. So, it's this question of like finding one's voice in terms of uh, not in terms of uh, simply of just linguistically learning Korean or any language per se, but rather that one has to actually then, you know, come to, you know, one has to, in some ways, commit treason on the parents, right? And actually find a way to actually, um, uh, you know, kind of claim one's voice through that. So it's this question of recreate, this is how culture essentially is animated, right? Because, because we actually have to project our own desires, right? In our, in, in, our words
1: right mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's a really important insight and uh yeah i, I really loved what you said about that uh, yeah how like you wanted to show that language is not simply about accruing uh, linguistic ability but rather about uh, how you like place your things and like also like the self uh, like in relations to others and i think you showed that really well too like when you talk about that uh, german and how you um yeah uh, talk with your siblings in german and how it's like a language of childhood that brings solace and uh, solidarity like even when the times get difficult and your dad enjoys that because for him it's a language of escape um because like when he wanted to go to grad school like german english and like russian uh, allowed him to imagine an academic life beyond korea um So yes, I thought those like, yeah, emotional like aspects to be like very emotional and relational aspects to be very uh, illuminating as well, yeah. Um, and uh that also leads me to uh, the next question which is uh in part three kit and um so yeah talking about you know your relationship with your siblings um you also uh, make a really interesting point about how uh, you know rather than seeing one's identity as a um, unique individual which is often done in the you know liberal west um uh, you show that you know sibling relations reveal the coexistence of togetherness and separation that is simultaneously there. Um, so I wondered whether you can um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, your sibling relations and how that's like, you know, marked by uh, pain, competition, like hierarchy that stems from uh, the parental upbringing um, and other uh, things like that and uh, how uh, that uh, figured it within your own work and seeing like a child.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that. Yeah. I mean it. So it, yeah. No. It, just as, as as you had said. I mean the this question within the liberal was of seeing the, the the child as this kind of unique individual that uh, or even within the the, the psychoanalytic analytic literature to see that the sibling who comes in as a threat to the uniqueness of the first child, right? <laughs> like, so that sec- second sibling becomes the murderous one who's going to actually take the place of the first one, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, so it, there's a way in which even as the sibling does emerge in psychoanalysis, it also um, becomes, uh, it, it, it still hinges around this question of uniqueness, right? Um, and uh, like within the anthropological literature, the sibling relation is, is, is actually quite important, um particular, sibling relations, um, because of uh, because of genealogical kinship, so that sibling relation would only be um, it, it gains significance because of um, the inheritance of property right within the genealogical kinship regime. So, um, but you know, I yeah, I mean, I think that what uh, uh, what I was trying to s- what I kind of discovered with my um, writing through this is really that, that, you know, just as you were talking about in terms of us learning German, like the kids learning German, it was actually the fact it's children's play, right. With each other, right. The, the fact that we, um, you know, had this, we created this play world, like through German, right. That, uh, where we, we just say German words to each other, right? So like, and mix in German, English, German, but, and it would be this really just quite funny, <laughs> um, you know, just constantly joking banter and constant banter of German uh, with each other, right? And it's that that actually is not simply, it doesn't fit within the legal regime of inheritance of property, right? It's not a question of like the subsumption of the unique individual by the sibling and, you know, this kind of, but rather like, well, what is actually created through this, through this play? It's a, it's, it is a, a different world. And it actually, in, in, in a way, I started to think of it as one that in fact animated, it kind of gave life to our domestic when our domestic was so was a dying space, mm. um, you know, and, 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 and that actually kept us alive on, in some ways. And so when I think about the way in which we, um, we might understand memory here, like, uh, or inheritance, um, it's, it, it, it actually kind of came to me when I was listening to one of our, um, students, uh, give a paper on, um, uh th- this really amazing book, Nayanika Mukherjee's um, uh, book the spectral wound um her her work on uh, the uh, um, looking at uh, the, the the mass rape that had happened at, at, in the in the context of the partition of Bangladesh and Pakistan um and and um and actually so um you know, Swayam Bagaria had given this very nice paper it's since been published um, on really th- asking like, well, maybe it's not a question of, you know, um, like who inherits this, right? Who inherits this event? But maybe it, it, the question is, is, um, you know, how is it that words bear memory? Do words themselves become encrusted with experience? So, and, and that actually was like, oh, my gosh, like hearing that actually made me realize that what I had been writing at the time wasn't so much a question of who is inheriting, um, you know, this, this violence or this catastrophe, but rather, um, you know, as if one would be deemed to actually write the book on this, but rather that actually, um, like, what inherits uh, memory? Like, and that can it be that German, in a way, for our household um, came to be the link like those German words for ourselves. I'm not saying in a general sense or abstractly, but I'm saying for ourselves um, came to be encrusted with the experience of affliction. And it is in saying these words, right? That, you know, that actually, um, and we continue to use these words amongst ourselves now, right? that bear witness to that history right it's the words that are bearing the witness right and 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 that i think um was was just such a like actually kind of quite amazing um um, like insight that i felt kind of immersed in just in this milieu of writing um and just being in conversation with others so that 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 was the first one. It was like, oh wow, this is this is what inherits. This is a question of words actually bearing witness. Um, the um, the second was actually you know this kind of goes back to this discussion of um, self knowledge and anthropological knowledge and uh, which is around this question of separateness. And I've I've actually thought through the question of separateness within my own. Within my, my research and um, uh, other research that, you know, um, in, in, in Santiago around um, how do we think through care uh, in the context of, you know, multiple um, persistent crises, um, situations in which, for example, um, you know, you have the, a woman, you know, maybe the, the, the main kind of the one who has like the, the stable job and in, in a very large network of, of kin. Um, and so she, she's responsible both for her own household, but also her sisters and her, she's constantly putting out fires everywhere else. Right. And how do we actually think about this question of separateness in the context in which everyone is actually, um, you know, kind of, you know, dependent on you. Right. And, um, and, 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 but, you know, I think that what, and when is it that you're actually, you can't help anymore. Right. And so this is, I think you know the, the this dawning of separateness, or we might say, um, really f- happens. Um, you know, as I'm writing, you know, is is it, it, within the writing is w- is with my with my twin brother, right? Where I describe how it is that, I mean, these are the most quotidian of things, right? It's like the most quotidian scene in which, you know, you know, I he, my brother is like not able to write his college essay. He's just really just blocked. You know, and I'm like shaking him, right? And, I think, and I'm thinking to myself, just like, write anything. You know, like we need to get out of this madness. Write anything. And it's and it's like, there's nothing that I can do, like absolutely nothing that I can do to make it such that the words live in my brother again, right? And it was this kind of uh, just feeling of utter, like, that, I, that I'm i actually helpless. Like, this is not just, um, you know, a question of ignorance or it's not just a question of, you know, defiance or just, like, frustration. It's just, like, actually, there's nothing more I can do, right? And, uh, and and that, but that's, there's always that question. It's never simply just a settled question, you know, issue. Like, no, there's nothing I can do. It's, that's the problem. It's like, you don't know, right? And so I think... It's this question of um, this this dawning of separateness actually is you know I, I think it kind of emerges to me um, you know I think with most clearly in this in the book and, and with my twin brother and, and also with my sister right um, but I think that I don't I don't think I had a way of really quite understanding that uh, or being aware or awake to it if you will had I not actually been as i again has i had i not actually been reading and engaging with these questions of separateness in my research in chile and in the wider discussion like for example with Vina das's work um around um and Stanley cavallo's work on on on, on, um you know finite responsibility right so so it's it's just, it's like when you read something and you, re- you realize like, whoa, like this is like a moment in which <laughs> the anthropological work, like this writing actually has the power to actually reveal aspects of your own life to yourself. Right. And, and, and that I thought was really um, quite interesting. So, yeah.
1: Mm, yeah, that's really interesting. And that actually reminds me of Have you read On My My So, like by Paguanso? I think in English type, uh, translation is Mother's Steak by Paguanso. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh yeah, as you were um, you know, uh, talking about it, uh, I uh, it really reminded me of uh how like in the first two cha- uh, two like pages, uh like is like mother figure, so she later uh goes on to take care of her mother, but then right now like her daughter almost dies from a fire. And then uh, she basically talks about how, you know, like she thought like she was connected to her daughter uh, because she gave birth. But then that was the moment when she realized the separateness. So in a way, but like she had this uh, promotion that like uh, the daughter was in trouble of some kind. So there was, you know, the care that like intertwined them. But at the same time, it was an incredibly like limited um, you know, uh, care that separated her from her daughter, and then like later her mother. So yeah, it just really reminded me of uh, uh yeah, Mother's Day by Wan-seo Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's really beautiful. And thank you, thank you so much for uh, yeah, telling it to like uh us like in the in the audience as well uh during this podcast. And yeah, speaking of uh, care, uh, I actually uh, did like, I actually did research on um, domestic work and uh, care work uh, as a master student. So I was uh, particularly like intrigued uh, by your relationship with your sister. And um, yeah, and uh, especially uh, how you talked about lethality of care and how this, you know, was gendered within your family, but also your fear of reproduction as well, like and how your sister also um, experienced the same thing or uh, that, you know, if you. Uh, give birth then uh, in a way like your uh, existence will be erased and how you loved your sister really intensely and then you talked about this too just now about you know like how you like really care for each other and it's like a consuming care but then at the same time there is this fear of uh this obliterating your existence um, so this existence of like care and lethality as well as uh reproduction um so i actually wondered whether uh, you could tell us uh, more about that because i found that to be really fascinating part of your book
0: hmm yeah sure i mean this is actually yeah i mean i, I don't think that i actually had actually um, let me just put it this way like in my in my previous work uh in in chile I don't think that I actually had been sufficiently aware of this uh, question of, of lethality and care. Um, I mean, and, and care is actually, I mean, so, you know, we might think of care in terms of um, like this attentiveness, right, to others, right, or the fact that, you know, uh, the feminist theorists of care would say, well, we're all interdependent. Right, you know, is, we have to acknowledge that kind of that interdependence, right? Um, or you, or like the critique of, of liberal, uh, you know, individualism, or um, like even the kind of forms of political activi- political activism can take, predicated on a liberal subject, because care actually shows us uh, the dependency uh, that we are already in. So, for example, Eva Feder kate saying, for example, you know, my, you know. My daughter, who has um, you know serious, um, uh, you know mental uh, uh, you know, disabilities, uh, would not be able to actually um, participate in an identity politics, right? Go, go lobbying and so forth. She needs an advocate, right? And what? So then, what? How does that actually shift the picture of the of this kind of? How does this actually destabilize a liberal, uh, you know, uh, an identity t- politics predicated on a liberal subject, right? So. Um, But, you know, I think that one, what was kind of perhaps less kind of seen within that literature is this lethality to care, which is that, you know, and I kind of describe it as that, which actually can, you know, unleash, unleash, you know, the most lethal aspects of ourselves, um, that care, that the very physicality of care. Um, the 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 you know just having to kind of be in this kind of take care of somebody in that way of can actually really kind of bring out some of the worst most horrible aspects of yourself and that that this I would almost think of it as like almost like this dark lagoon that's just uh, waiting to kind of you know kind of seep out into everything and it's not so much that it's like this other is going to consume me or like the child's going to eat me you know this kind of thing but rather that it's like that this very care could make me unintelligible to myself that I would become unrecognizable to myself because of the physicality and not just because of this dark Lagoon of that of, of lethality that actually would be coming up within me, with respect to care, and I think, um, and so that I I I you know I I, I think it. I don't want to kind of give the impression, and perhaps I did a little bit too much in that book, but it's not just that there's a question of um, disproportionate or gendered caregiving. That, I mean, that just had to happen because my mother is you know, a woman and me and my sister are, and there's issues, like concrete issues around taking care of somebody who's in a vegetative state, like changing clothes, like giving showers and these kind of things that, you know, we just couldn't ask my twin brother to do, like to do that would be so painful for him and for us and for my mother, you know? So they're just things that we would just, boundaries that you simply wouldn't ever cross. And so it wasn't simply like, oh, well, boys don't do this. Girls do this. It was like, no, it's actually like, this is how we take care of each other. We're going to do this, right? So that we, we are recognizable to ourselves still. Mm-hmm. So my brother is put into that position of doing this. Um, and so it's, it and, and so, you know, I think when, so it was not so much, you know, I think that there, but there is something here about, um, You know the 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 fact of that kind of what again, you know this this idea of full blown care, right? That that is involved not just with taking care of somebody who's that sick, like my mother, but is involved with having children. You know that um, that places in some ways the woman in this situation of 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 just that kind of care. I mean, it's just not, and so. That in a way that, for a long time, I felt that would you know that particular that felt that full blown care would actually bring out that would would annihilate me because it would be from not just from the outside it would be from within myself that that aspects of that that which is there already it would actually annihilate me and so there. It's that question of the lethality of care that, in relation to self-knowledge, right? That that I actually, um, in some ways, discovered uh, by just even talking to my sister about the fact, like, why why were why do you not want to have children, or like, what did you think of, or or, you know, that there was some way in which uh, reproduction and lethality uh, were linked. Um, for us in the context of our lives not just in general or not for other people but like just in the context of our lives that it came to be linked in this way
1: Mm, yeah oh i see yeah oh thank you so much for yeah again like clarifying this with us yeah i was um maybe in like a different context yeah i guess like it is in a different context but uh, i guess like for my own work i was uh, also thinking about that how, like, care is often talked about within the confine of white respectability. Um, I guess if in ethnic studies, like, you don't really see that as often. Um, but then I was, like, still a little, like, you know, disturbed by how in the very dominant um scholarship about care, it is, like, you know, dominated by, like, white females who want to, like, elevate the work of care. And, you know, care is has this, like, really, like, moral, like, connotation uh, that I often, like, explains, exclude, you know, like women of color from their framework. Um, So I think like when I was, uh, you know, reading your work, uh, I was, um, you know, thinking about like, I didn't think about this in terms of like, lethality, but I think, you know, there is some like, connection there um, to you know how like morality like often consumes the uh, discourses on care uh, so yeah thank, thank you so much for um, yeah telling us more about the context though uh, it was uh, really illuminating yeah um, and I have taken up uh, a lot of your time so I see that the time is like almost up, um but uh, yeah there was uh there is a final question um that I wanted to ask you and that is uh, what is your next book project um and yeah can you tell us about the uh, interesting work that you're doing now that you have finished your book
0: um so uh so <laughs> so many projects I mean I think that um so there's I mean we, there's like I mean actually a couple different directions like one is I am actually, um, writing, um, two different papers. So I don't know if it's going to actually turn into a book. I mean, these are going to be for edited volumes, but one, but basically looking at, um, the, the way in which, um, um, Ella is, uh, the, the, in, in some ways, the way in which Ella is actually, um, learning death, at dying my daughter, um, And so I just, uh, so, and and also to kind of really get us to rethink um, dementia and the discussion around dementia in in anthropology and kind of more broadly in the humanities um, as not one that isn't simply just a question of, um, you know, memory and recognition and so forth, you know, but what it is actually have, you know, be in dementia, like all of us be in dementia in the sense of a, you know, we might think of it more as a terminal disease in which like all of, all of your bodily functions actually deteriorate. So you, you completely um, kind of unravel um, and what it is for Ella to actually um, learn this. Um, so um, and so that's, I've been kind of working on that. I mean, obviously this is difficult in the midst of a pandemic when <laughs> there is no childcare and, <laughs> um, so and caregiving is difficult too for my father. So, so, but yeah, I, uh, so, you know, so that's one of the, that's one area that I've um, been working on. The other, um, is the, this very, very large study that, uh, Vina Das and I are actually, uh, working on, um across five countries, uh, with multiple teams, um, to look at, um, uh, um, basically how it is that households are, um, um, kind of uh, how it is that households are responding to, um, COVID pandemic measures, low-income households in five different countries. So I'm actually, um, so this is Chile, Brazil, India, China, and South Korea, in fact, um, and so we've been doing, because we can't do face-to-face uh, research, we've been doing, um, um, like, WhatsApp <laughs> video calls <laughs> with, that, uh, with the people that we, you know, uh, participants, that, you know, people that we've actually known for a very long time in our field sites. This is one of the kind of things that, you know, anthropology keeps in touch and actually has very deep connections with the people that we, we work with. Um, and so we've actually gone back to the neighborhoods Uh, that we worked in long-term and actually have been following the families. We did um, household surveys and interviews every other week for uh, five months. uh, And then have been doing monthly follow-up interviews. So this, um, this research has actually been really, um, and you know, I'm primarily working in in Chile um, and then we have graduate students uh, in uh, who are doing, working in uh, South Korea. Uh, But, but this has been a huge, huge undertaking and um, one that hopefully we'll, we'll actually be able to kind of uh, share with the public uh, as, as we as we do more data analysis. But so it's like lots of different directions in terms of projects. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank thank you so much for sharing and they both sound really important. Um and with the with the first one we didn't really get to talk about this in the uh, interview. I did really appreciate how in the uh in part four mother tongue uh, you give details on how Ella's learning loss and affliction and I really especially love like the metaphors you know the tree metaphor and then how uh, it she also like picks up on like you know simple details about you know like your father and as she learns about yeah, loss and affliction. Um, so I really looking forward to you know uh, reading it when it comes out. And then the second project also sounds really amazing as well. And I'm really curious because yeah, like Brazil, and Chile, and the South Korea, I imagine, are very different contexts. Um, so it would be really interesting to see what results come out from uh, you know the uh, surveys and interviews that you're conducting with different households.
0: Oh yeah, you know, it's it's gonna it's been very very interesting. I mean because the pandemic measures also have been so different, I mean, between, for example, Chile, Brazil, and for example, South Korea, I mean, with the kind of surveillance that's in China, we also try so it, this surveillance is, uh, is quite different. And um, the, the, so, you know, and the ways in which one relates to the state is, you know, is, is very different. So um, also the political context, I mean, this, Although there's a there's actually a lot to 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 look at. And so hopefully we'll be able to share that a yeah. once
1: we yeah, definitely. I can imagine. Yeah. 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 A lot of like historical, like political, like social policy, um, and also like individual, uh, I guess relational, like a lot of things that you can look into. Yeah. Uh, uh, but thank you so much for the podcast and the interview. Uh, we really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, I cannot wait to like read your next work. <laughs> oh, thank
0: you. Thank you so much, Dan. <laughs> thank you.